0: Myself Chakras, episode
1: 362. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar,
0: What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my the show where we help you experience effortless healing, Awakening and abundance. In today's episode, we talk about many topics, including Princess Diana, her life and legacy, how to find your voice, how to develop that magnetic presence, and how to step into your transformational journey. But before diving in, I'd like to remind you that I have recently released a 24 page PDF document that outlines some of my favorite ways to raise my vibrations and feel better almost immediately to grab that free download go to my 7 com forward slash feel better now that's my 7 com forward slash feel better now all right so let's bring on our guest for today Stuart Pearce Stuart are you ready to inspire always AJ always <laughs> that's wonderful Stuart Pearce is a revered global voice coach who has worked with change makers and celebrities for over 40 years. He was the head of voice at the Weber Douglas Academy London from 1980 to 97, helped pioneer Shakespeare's global theater as master of voice between 97 to 2010 and has coached luminaries such as Eddie Redmayne, Matthew Good, Hugh Bonwell, Mark Rylance, Emilia Clark, Margaret Thatcher, Mo Molem, Benazir Bhutto, Diana, Princess of Wales, Marianne Williamson, who has been a guest on our show, and the London 2012 Olympic bid, to name just a few. And his latest book, which we are going to speak about today, is Diana, the Voice of Change. So, as you can imagine, it's going to be a totally epic episode, which you can't afford to miss. So make sure that you stay till the very end so once again, Stuart, welcome to our show. Thanks a lot for
1: joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Great. So if you may, let's start from the very beginning. Let's talk about your childhood. How were
1: things in your household as you were growing up? How were things in my household um, <clears throat> or how were things inside me? I guess if you could start with your
0: household and then within yourself or the other the other way around.
1: Well, I- I suppose I, I woke to the experience of dichotomy, meaning I woke to the experience of contrasts. because um, as I became conscious, I was aware of touching into seeing, hearing the multidimensional universe. And so I spoke about what I was experiencing um, with the glee, the innocence, and the wonder of the, of the, inno- of the innocent young child. To soon discover that nobody else was seeing what I was seeing um and I thought, well, maybe I should just go on saying what i'm saying what I'm seeing, but then I soon discovered that there was so much disapprobation, so much disapproval around me that I decided that I needed to shut up, and so that was also challenged by I was brought up in a very privileged situation, my parents well my father particularly was a royal servant working for the Queen of the Duke of Edinburgh. So there was all of this privilege, but at the same time, my mother was a very grounded individual full of unconditional love. So she was my buffer. The the world was in contention with me, but my mother just expressed unconditional love. So I was immensely fortunate. However, at school, I found it very challenging because um, this was all post-Second World War. This was the early 50s. So we didn't know then about Aspergers or synesthesia or dyslexia, and I, I, I believe that I was borderline Aspergers. I certainly know that I was synesthetic, so I saw sound. And when it came to reading, it, I, it was just impossible. I couldn't. I couldn't see a way of being able to comprehend the notation on the page. It, all, all I saw were jagged lines, and I tried and I tried but it was just simply unsuccessful. So I was branded an idiot. Mm. So with the nature of what I shared initially and with the latter part of what I've just suggested, I decided I'd shut up. So I shut up for two years. I self-muted. And my brother spoke for me. He's a year older. Uh, And what that did was to give me an extraordinary opportunity of observing and Mm. really hearing stillness. So I became aware of the power of words, by not having to emit them, I became aware of observing, of hearing and of seeing words mm. and the way that they affected human consciousness. So that's where the journey really started. Now that's a very adult perspective of an immensely sensory experience, but that's me making sense of what was really going on. Um, I was troubled by was troubled by schooling. I used it as a platform to develop a personality. Um, I got by by my wits. I got by by humour. I got by by being clever in, dra- in, in, in the drama classes, so, much so that mm-hmm. you, said, you know, there's something about your voice. There's something about your voice. There's something about your voice. I know. I certainly learned to read because my mother mm-hmm. had the ingenuity of suggesting, let's put Stuart into a church choir. So I actually re- I learned to read through su- through song. I learned to read through singing hymns, psalms, anthems. In other words I learned to read through flow. Hmm. Trying to read just through speech I wasn't interested I wasn't introduced rather to flow but as soon as one sings of course the breath becomes the flow and the duration of each note becomes part of the flow and therefore adds to the ecstasy of the fact that I was singing sacred songs and this very very pronounced awareness of the divine so I saw angels around me I saw holy ones around me Uh, I was brought up as Christian. Um, So that's, that's really what childhood was like, you know. Got it, got it. Thanks a lot
0: for sharing. And this really paints a beautiful picture about your childhood, the fact that you had difficulties in school and that you were not able to, I guess, read, like you mentioned, the way others did, but then sound and music got in touch with you and the Wonderful part was that your mother provided under unconditional love, which makes a huge difference. So you said that you were seeing things and hearing things and feeling things, right? So do you remember your first sort of spiritual slash mystical experience? What oh, yeah. was it like?
1: What oh, was yeah. it like? <clears throat> I was aware of an extraordinary light. Hmm. And this light I mean, I was a very small child. I must have been in the crib. Mm. This light was full of love, Mm. and within it was a humming sound, which I would now interpret as uh, the continuous sounding of Ohm. But of course, I realized that it must have been my mother humming, but because of her purity, because of... She was actually really quite innocent herself. Um, I mean, aware of the world, obviously, and she just lived through the Second World War. Um, But... There was a quality of purity, a quality of grace, a quality of adoration about her. So I believe that that's who it was. But because she was who she was, I believe that she was a vessel for the divine because I often saw through her, her linguistic was always one of love and care Mm. and generosity and compassion and empathy. So I would see these extraordinary waves of light around her and I would see beings of light attached to what was being emitted from her body, which was very different from my father. It was my yeah. father was a war hero who had risen through the ranks and become this royal servant. And he was frustrated because he saw a child, his second son, who was feminine, creative. And my dad was just bewildered. So he was very frightened. So when he saw me in a reverie, because I was constantly in wonder, where well, I would just do this okay. for hours. And of course, what I was seeing was something that nobody else was seeing, I was seeing force, I was seeing angels, I was seeing elementals, I was seeing fairies, I was seeing stuff and dead people yeah. looking around because I you know my homes were in royal palaces that were very 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 old, and I mean therefore there are lots of voices. I was fascinated by all these voices of people of beings, and there are lots of stories about the beings that i saw, which i didn 't know what they were, but now i 've defined who they were, because I remember them absolutely um, so yeah, but so my father 's energy. Was from a synesthetic point of view, which means a crossover of the senses. You know, there I was seeing his anger, but it was like broken glass coming towards me in the air. And so mm. i I would do I would do this. You know, I would protect myself, and of course, I was considered to be mad because of doing that. But, you know, oh, it was just because you can see it sound. I would see the energy. It was like broken glass coming when he was angry. It wasn't these waves of pastel colors. It was this hard. Shards of glass. It was like broken glass. And I mean, that's for a six, five, six, seven year old, that's terrifying. Your father shouts at you, and all that happens is that the energy becomes broken glass and it whizzes through the air at you and pings into your energy field and then disappears. But of course, you feel as though you've been hit. You see? That's actually what's happening in our fields when people are aggressive, angry, violent. You know, so you can just imagine what it's like being a synesthete in the middle of a war, in the middle of a battle. It's just all you see is horror because you see energetically what's taking place to people's bodies that we become so dull that we don't experience. In fact, what you said reminded
0: me of the fact that sometimes babies and young children, you'll catch them staring at the wall, right? Or maybe staring into oblivion or staring at the sky, maybe staring at you or staring through you or staring around you. It just goes to show that they might be in touch, or they might be seeing things like like you did, and like all of us do in childhood. But then we tend to forget them. So thanks a lot for pointing that that it's not it's not bad to daydream. It's in fact it should be encouraged. Uh, my question is: you told us about your school. How did you get started in the field of voice? Like, how did that begin?
1: Well, it was the only thing that I could do. I mean, people were saying there's some, but there's some. You, you can't do this, you're nothing at this, but there's something about your voice. And so okay. you know, I, I, was, I was so full of uh, fear and insecurity about the fact I couldn't do what they wanted me to do. But when yeah. there was a little moment of approval, well, I saw the light, so I went towards it. I didn't stay around with the disapprobation. I went towards the approval. And if somebody said there's something about your voice, but you don't even know what they're talking about, well, you go towards that light, at least I did. And what that did was I proved that there was something about my voice. I don't know what it was. I mean, people are still saying to me, there's something about your voice. I don't believe it's for me to know. I believe it's for them to receive, for you to receive. That there's, you know, people say that I have a purring sound in my voice, that I have a healing. Somebody the other day said, man, when you speak, it's like the birds sings. You speak soul talk. So that's what people receive. Anyway, so how did I legitimize that? How did I make it conventional? Well, the simplest thing to do was to become part of a, a drama a drama class at school, which I did. And people were saying, oh my goodness, you're an actor. You're an okay. actor. And I thought, oh, I'm an actor. Okay, so I'll go towards that. I don't know what else I am. I, so I went towards that and I trained as an actor teacher and then immediately went into mainstream theater as an actor. Through the 70s. And of course, you know, that was extraordinary because I was with people who were much more open minded. Uh, I mean, actors tend to be rogues and vagabonds, you know, so we're very open to the possibility of multidimensionalness and multifacetedness, you know, and there, there are less taboos and strictures. Of course, mm. there can be a lot of ego, but I was very fortunate in the 70s. I mean, I was. In, in the Royal Shakespeare Company, alongside people like Judi Dench, the young Judi Dench, the young Patrick Stewart, the young Ian McKellen. And these are very extraordinary people. They're humble, they're gracious, they're true people who, you know, may have egos, but they don't brandish them in front of anybody else when they're feeling insecure. So I was very fortunate, you know, that I had a, a great beginning. Um, and that all, let, all went through to the end of the 70s. And I was I was in New York, working in New York and doing quite well, and then got a major casting, which was a film, a movie, to be made in Los Angeles. And hey, guess what? I got the casting. And so I was moving from New York, where I'd been for two years, working to go to Los Angeles, because the contract was quite an extended one. And in the middle of packing up the apartment in New York, in Manhattan, The telephone rang, and I moved into a surreal experience, a psychic experience, where everything moved into slow motion. And it was my brother who's saying, what are you doing? And I said, well, you know what I'm doing. I'm moving to Los Angeles. And he said, are you sitting down? You need to know that Mum has cancer. She has three months to live. What are you going to do? And so in a split second, I decided to let the movie go and to go back to the United Kingdom and nurse my mother, which I did for a year. And then she passed. And mm-hmm. that was a mystical experience when she went. But of course, after a year's worth of nursing her, it was a question of I'd lost my agent, lost my manager. I hadn't been working for a year, I'd just been nursing her. I felt this was very important. Our father had died three years prior. They died quite young. She was only 59 when she died. Um, and it was just, she was such an extraordinary, sacred being to me. We had a huge soul connection. I felt it was very, very important. But of course, when she passed, it was very unusual because I didn't know what my life was going to be about. And in the middle of all of that experience, I had a mystical experience where she came to me and said, Mm -hmm. all will be well, all will be well, Okay, all will be well, which is lovely, but when will it be well? (laughs) And then two days later, the telephone rang and that's when the whole of my life changed because again, everything moved into slow motion and here was the voice director of the Royal Shakespeare Company with whom I'd worked, saying, what are you doing? I haven't seen you for a long time. And I said, well, I'm not doing anything. I'm being this, at which point she uttered an expletive and said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. And then in the next breath, she said, come and work for me. And mm. there's this woman I want you to go and work with who's just taken over the Conservative Party. I don't want to work with her. I'm a diehard socialist. You go and work with her. And so <laughs> later, I was walking into Downing Street and Margaret Thatcher became my client. That's where it started. So you see, AJ, what I'm really talking about is that the wheel of destiny has turned very considerably in my favour to lead me to a path of devotion, to a lead me lead me to a path of authentic truth, and to lead me to a path of helping others empower self, while I use the instrumentation of my own being through as much love, through as much truth, through as much craft skills as I can to allow that person to experience the power of their soul radiating through the whole of their beings. Effectively, that's what I do. Well, thanks a lot
0: for explaining that to us. And I loved the story that you shared, how one event led to the other, and then you just trusted in your destiny, in your purpose. And you did what is right first. That is, you gave your time, your attention, and your love to your mother. And then the call came your way. So I love that story that you shared so, from Margaret Thatcher, let's move on to Princess Diana. What inspired you to write this latest book of yours about princess diana
1: we 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 sort of talked about it um twenty three years ago before she died, in the sense of that we were we were both so excited about working together. Um, we had a completely confidential relationship. I felt this was very important. So when I was asked when Diana asked me to to work with her, I said, yes." I will, but under one condition, that this is totally confidential. And, and it was held to be confidential. It was it was almost secret. Um, and the reason why I did this was, A, because I wanted to help Diana honor the incandescence of her soul. Secondly, she was surrounded by a circus of activity, which I really didn't want to be involved in which was to do with, you know, because this was the last two years of her life, so it was very much to do with the whole substance of divorcing Charles and the disapprobation of the royal family, the approbation of the press, the circus of the paparazzi, and also the fact that she had worked with people like me um, before, and they had then completed the, her, their work with her and had gone to the daily tabloids and had sold their story for thousands of pounds. And so she was deeply scarred by betrayal. And I swore that this confidentiality would be, um, you know, would be sacrosanct. However, what was interesting also is that we talked about the work as being so significant that perhaps it would be something that I would communicate at some point. But that was never form- formalized. And then there I was in conversation about four years ago with my literary agent, who said, "Well, what you know, what would you like to write next?" Because i am known as, you know, I published four other books prior to this, and they've done very well in the world within the mind, body, spirit industry, because they're mostly about self-empowerment, about sound healership, and also about um, a group of angels that I work with who came to me in 87. So I've written books about these. And so we were talking about, well, can I write another angel book, which is really what I wanted. And most mm. publishers would rejected the idea by saying, oh, does he have to write another book about angels? There are so mm. many books about angels, whereas 30 years ago, there were very few books about angels. Mm. You know, things have changed. And so my agent said to me, well, wait a minute, you, wrote, you worked with Diana. And I said, yes, but I'm never writing a book about that. And she said, no, no, wait a moment. The book that you'll write will not be a chronicle. It will not be a diary. It will not be a kiss and tell. Your book, and in that moment... Diana came in, and I saw the whole of the book in front of me. Mm. Indeed, I saw the whole of the project in front of me, because the book is just the beginning of a project that I'm launching called the Diana Heart Path. Mm. And the Diana Heart Path will be a major pathway of experience for us all to come together in communion so that we can share harmonically through kindred spirit Um, learn about how we can move from unlove or fear into love, Mm. and thirdly, support the extraordinary revolution of consciousness that's taking place, particularly in relation to the arousal of the divine feminine. I believe that that Diana is masters or mistress-minding all of this as an angel of vast luminosity, which is why the cover of the book had to be the way But it is. This is not Diana as she was. This is Diana as she is in these extraordinary angelic colors. So they're the beginning reasons. Got it. So, so, so my question is um, how did you meet Diana?
0: Talk to us about how did that connection happen and maybe Mm -hmm. why were you brought
1: in to, to coach her or to work with her? There was at that time a very famous restaurateur in the district of Knightsbridge in central London, which has always been referred to as a very salubrious area. Um, and Diana had a very close connection with this restaurant. Her name was Mara Burney, and the restaurant was San Lorenzo. And so Mara had been immensely kind to me. She had sent many major clients my way. I met Benazir Bhutto through Mara. Mara um, was was... Her food was extraordinary. The restaurant was considered to be a place uh, where many notable people could go and be private. The story goes also, which she told me, that in the 60s, early 70s, when the Rolling Stones had done a concert, that Mick Jagger would call her at 3 o'clock in the morning saying, Mara, we need your pasta. And she'd get up and make pasta for the boys. I mean, that's the sort of person that she was. But she was immensely psychic. And so she said to me, Stuart, there's somebody I want you to work with who really needs you. And this was in 1995, when Diana was about to divorce Charles. In fact, what had happened is that the BBC Panorama program that Diana did, where she said there are three people in this marriage, and other important things about the royal family, that Diana looked at that video and was, was rather appalled by what she saw. She felt that she was submissive, that she was subservient, that she was you know, looking at everybody over through through this sort of gesture. So she realized that she wanted to improve her presence and her voice. And that's what I do. I train actors, public personalities, members of royalty, celebrities, it, CEOs, politicians, to really become the magnificent vision of themselves by living through the entirety of their bodies and by producing sound from the very core of their being. That helps set set the situation. Thanks a lot for providing that perspective. I I met her, and um, and we then we created what I was talking about formerly this confidential relationship. So um, you know what the the first thing I needed to do was to introduce her to the consciousness of what presence, how presence can be evoked. And it was obviously something that she had a very natural ability for. But my job was actually uh, uh, was to make her aware, to make her consciously aware of what she was doing unconsciously so that she could use that as a craft. Not in some analysis paralysis fashion, but just simply because there she was moving from being an immensely natural, easy, sociable, loving person into immensely formal situations where there are 150 cameras flashing in your face and you're so expected to be composed and beautiful and easy and gracious, and you're meeting people that can often be immensely demanding from an energetic point of view. So in other words, how can we be most natural in really unnatural situations? Which is, if you think about it, that's what actors have to deal with. You know, I, my home right. is classical acting. So how do you how do you go into a fil- onto a film set at five o'clock in the morning and you meet somebody that you've only just met? They're a big yeah. star. You're surrounded by 150 people in the crew, and you then have to leap into bed with that person and kiss them. You know, it, right. so they have techniques of being able to be completely natural in very unnatural situations. And so what I've done over the years is to take the notion. The, the imagination, the invention of what these craft skills are all about, which have, is quite simply just living the greatest vision of yourself, but but, but through a particular filter. And uh, there were many, and of course, they have all been included within the book, Diana, the Voice of Change. What's interesting is that the, the title of the book evokes the substance that, of the fact that Diana, in all of her beauty and all of her simplicity, detonated this vast charge in the world so she was obviously destined as an anointed one to bring in something very extraordinary as we saw in her life but also very specifically at her death Can you, thanks, were, thanks a lot where were you Sorry. When it was the 31st 1997
0: where were you so 97 w- was that the day when 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 she passed away is that the day that was the day she died yes i remember I mean, I, I think I was at home, but I was watching BBC. I was watching the the telecast. I was at home. I was in Mumbai. Uh, yeah. And and I was not too deep into the background of the story. I knew that Princess Diana was somebody important and that she was very benevolent and she did a lot for mm-hmm. society. But I do remember that, you know, her death was was huge, right? I mean, a lot of people... Uh, There was a lot of telecast all over the world, different uh, news channels, especially the situation where the car accident took place. That was being repeated again and again. So I was, all the while, you know, I had these questions in my mind, right? Who was Lady Diana? What was she going through personally that not a lot of people know about publicly? How did her influence impact her two sons? You know, things like that. So in a way, our conversation was predestined because I had these questions in my mind, and I really wanted to ask you and one thing in particular you've written in your book is uh, that caught my attention is um, you said that at the deciding moment of her divorce from Charles, Diana began to comprehend and experience the appreciation, the gratitude and awe of those she met everywhere. So talk to us about this phenomena because it happened you say that at the moment of her divorce, she began to experience and comprehend the appreciation, the gratitude, and the awe of those that she met everywhere. So what about the divorce sort of led to these changes?
1: So prior to that time, Diana was consumed with trying to learn a 3D language. Okay. Being a sensitive, being an empath, she was sensorily overloaded most of the time and therefore had a really uneasy conversation with life in 3D. Hmm. But in that moment, her soul body awakened. Now, she was aware of spirit. She was aware of soul. But in that moment, her soul body awakened so considerably that she transcended the 3D problems of materialism and became aware of a sensation of destiny awakening her. There had obviously been infiltrations of this prior through her consciousness, through her intuition, through uh, you know, through her presentiment, through her psyche, through her sensitivity, um, where she would reveal, "I don't believe I'm ever going to be the Queen of England, but I would like to be the Queen of everybody's hearts," etc., etc. Now, I mean, meeting Mother Teresa, we we, we flew to Delhi, but. Um, Unfortunately, Mother Teresa was not well. She was in, um, she'd been taken to Rome. However, the, the, her sisters, meaning the other nuns, took Diana into the chapel privately and they all sang to her. And Diana said it was the most moving experience where she felt the Holy Spirit, she felt Shakti come into her. Hmm. And. That was a, dis, dis, a defining moment. That was a deciding moment. I believe that she became a vessel for Shakti. You see, so that for example, mm. going back to what you were sharing about your awareness, because you were a child, you were a boy yeah. when she passed. Yeah, the wave of Shakti hit. It's recorded mm. five point nine billion people. That was more. That was more than two thirds of the population of the planet during the seven days of doom. In other words, our heart chakras, the Anahata, was hit by the force of that wave, which, of course, as we know, is a totally felt, understood, comprehended energy within the great faiths of Hinduism and Buddhism, arising from the Divine Mother. Mm. And that's what awakened people. Now, of course, what's interesting, just to skip forward, is that right now we're experiencing another wave of Shakti, to awaken the fact that there are severe imbalances in the world and we need to bring the divine male and the divine feminine into, into consort, into equilibrium, which is why we're seeing these amazing women stepping forward and often being angry about the injustices that they've received from men. But are always mm-hmm. stepping forward in freedom and in love and in celebration of their compassion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we're seeing many women take over very powerful positions mm. in the world. Yeah. And, you know, Marianne is a, a case in point, isn't it? Because there she was running for Democratic nomination to become president. She stepped away from that, as we know. But her, what she was, what she's achieved was remarkable because she's awakened mm-hmm. millions of people to the possibility of how we can awaken to the substance of love in the field of politics, and much more than that. So there was something huge about Diana that she can mm-hmm. be dismissed lightly. Mm-hmm. She was a Absol- world servant. So
0: thanks a lot for sharing that story. The way you described her story and the way you've written it in your book, it feels as if that it was a spiritual awakening for her right? There are a lot of people are going and, you know, like you said, intuitively, she had these nudges from time to time that she was meant for something huge to create a large impact to influence people's lives around the world. But it feels as if the hit of the divorce opens up something about her that allowed her to see the light. Like you said, she broke through the 3D matrix, so to speak, and she went beyond that. Uh, And I'm not sure if you would agree, but does a breakup or a divorce or like a heartbreak have that effect where you have a spontaneous spiritual awakening and you suddenly begin to see the truth all around you? Because from my conversations with a lot of my listeners, 2019 was very challenging for a lot of people. Or a lot of unexpected break, uh, breakups or divorces or heartbreaks. But then 2020 is very different. It's it, it's like an awakening a new beginning, you're turning a brand new page. So what are your thoughts on
1: that? Yeah, I mean, many com- cosmic cycles are coming to a point of completion. And, um, right. And also coming to a point of beginning. You know. And as a result of that, we, we our planet, our, our species, um, we're, we're being affected by these cosmic cycles. And so right. as a result, of course, we know that there is something very extraordinary taking place on this planet. One of my Mm -hmm. points of awakening, just to give illustration, was in 1987, during August of 1987, which is a period called the Harmonic Convergence. And within the Mayan civilization, who are considered to be the remnants of Atlantis, which is they they live within Mesoamerica in association with the Aztec and also with the Kogi Indians, they said that uh, on that point of astrological window opening in August, just as we have astrological windows opening now, These the supermoon that we just experienced just um, seven days ago was just monumental in terms of the release of energy to support um, a, a, a transcendent level of our consciousness to awaken, so that we don't have to wake up through desperation, we wake up mm-hmm. through inspiration. So, um, but, but just to give illustration, back to August 1987, uh, an astrological grand trine opened in the heavens, and the Mayans said that 144,000 rainbow-like warriors would be awakened. Wow! I believe that many, you know, I believe that they chose me as one. Um, I was not, it was, and this was not conscious, but I had a miraculous divine transmission that weekend in Glastonbury when I saw these angels, and um, I've been working with the angels ever since. I believe that one hundred forty-four thousand people were awakened, and these effectively are the mature light workers that we've seen, uh, you know, work for the last twenty-seven years. Well, it's actually more than that now, isn't it? It's, it's thirty thirty odd years awakening people, uh, and also awakening because we awaken we holistically through co-creation awaken what's happening in the Gaia, whatever's awakening in the Gaia, we awaken to if we are sensitive to. Uh-huh. Um, and so the interesting thing is that when we go through these periods of trauma, that we suddenly reevaluate, we take a moral inventory, and we realize that we, you know, we 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 move through regret and denial and guilt, and we work on why have I created this. If we're sensible, if soul awakens, because often we see that we choose desperation to awaken our souls rather than inspiration. That's true. That's true. I love what you said there. That
0: breakup or that divorce or that heartbreak or that trauma is an opportunity for us to realize and recognize that whatever's happening around us is nothing but our imagination pushed outwards. And if it is our imagination pushed outwards, then you can change your impressions that you're giving to your subconscious mind and thereby change your reality. So thanks a lot for sharing that with us. So what was Diana like? As a person, why was she admired by people all over? As I've shared through my experience, I was a young kid back there, so I wasn't able to comprehend all the information and what was happening around the world. But what was she like as a person?
1: Yes, I think, I mean, you know, for our listeners' sake, I think really what you were describing is that your soul was asleep. Mm. That, you know, that that your soul woke at another point in the chronology of this incarnation. And that wasn't yeah. the time when you were awake. Whereas, yeah. um, you know, for many people, and that obviously there's nothing wrong with that. That's your journey. That's your destiny. That's your incarnational trajectory. Whereas a yep. lot of people were blasted open by that Shakti. So what was Diana like? Diana was the sweetest, most loving, most caring, most funny person that I've ever had the grace to meet, that I've ever been honored to to, to meet. Um, frail in human terms, but vastly robust in spiritual terms, in divine terms. Because you see, her love was so uncondi- unconditional. Her love, her love was the thing that poured through her. Mm. Her love led her to ordinariness. Her love led her to joy. Her love led her to freedom. Her love led her to... It also initially led her towards incarceration, as we saw. She was the prisoner, the prisoner of Windsor, to a certain extent. Um, and of course, you know, we have to put it into the context of the consciousness of our peoples that what we're moving through at this time is a, a giant step away from patriarchal oppression. But Diana was brought up experiencing patriarchal restraint. And so one of the features of patriarchal restraint, I know this so deeply within me, is that they know much better than we do, that the people in charge know much better, and that we have to be deferential, we have to be reverential, we have to be in awe. And then we suddenly realize now that even though these people were fulfilling powerful positions and rights of office and looked very impressive, that then afterwards they were going backstage and, to be crude, buggering the boys. And so we're beginning to realize, whatever, wait, minute, a, wait minute, a, 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 this needs to change. In other words, right. the agency of of transparency is now emerging for us to see the totality of what the human being is concerned. So she was captured she was captured by um patriarchal restraint, which led towards great pain and bulimia and three suicide attempts. and years and years and years of feeling deficient, feeling disempowered, feeling too shy, feeling frightened. Mm. Um, And one of the things that I needed to do was to not convince her, but to allow her to see that her intuition, her empathic wisdom, her soul-fed fiber was just as powerful as any academic, if not possibly more powerful because what it allows is an incandescent awareness of being totally within the body rather than just being locked in the head. (sighs) You know, I mean, one of the things that you were talking about earlier is that, you know, the patriarchy is that you need to do, 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 do. And so what Mm -hmm. happens is we just live in the head, you see, because after all, this is the doing area. And we have, you know, we're told in academia that we have to become really cerebrally brilliant, and we need to have opinions that can compete with other people's opinions. But it has nothing to do with well, the heart. is the secret. And so mm-hmm. what's happening, I believe, is that when and this happens when we go through trauma, that we stop doing because we come, we come to a realization that whatever we're doing is not working. Mm-hmm. And so we enter into a state of being. And when we enter in a state of being, that's when we start hearing the voice of God. That's when we go inside and we need to de-stress. So we find stillness. Often we're exhausted after the drama of the trauma. And so, as we all know, after a storm comes this huge calm. So we feel stillness. And then we begin to realize that there's something altogether quite extraordinary happening in the stillness that was never happening in the action. Although the action can be really fun. You know, all we have to do is to see some of the great creatives on our planet and what they're creating to see that it can be fun. And, uh, you know, the two need to go hand in hand, I believe. The being is the feminine and the doing is the masculine. But, you know, I speak of a Western man who was never able to do what they wanted me to do. And I was always being punished for not being able to do what they wanted me to do. And what I did was to force myself like a round peg into a square hole. And as soon as I woke, up, woke up to this, I became a revolutionary, even though i had been a conventional educator for much of my life, as you were saying from my bio. But what I do is I I set people's I set people's inspiration on fire. I don't fill pails. I don't fill buckets of water. You know, considering a human being as being a bucket, I don't fill them. I, I'm I'm actually annotating a phrase from um, from James Joy who said, you know, I I am not prepared to fill buckets of water. I think he said pails, pails full of water. I am going to light fires in people's consciousness. Beautiful. Now, you uh, spoke
0: about the idea, and I love the imagery, but you said there's a storm, and then there's a calm after the storm. And in the calm, you experience that stillness, and then after that, there is a sound, but then the sound is a different sound, right? So talk to us about the signature note, or that sound that you speak about. What is the signature note, or the signature sound that a person can develop, as did
1: Princess Diana? So we, we each have a unique sound, which is the song of our soul. Mm. And in terms of finding the extent of our vocal range, we each have a note or a sound. A note is a frequency, uh, which makes a resonance, which is the, the energy of our voices. that we each have uh, a center to our range. And when we sound this, we literally sing the song of our mm. soul, When we sound this, we come from the very center of our beings. When we sound this, we develop a magnetic voice. When we sound this, we are charged with the voice of change, which is the voice of love. Mm -hmm. It's not the voice of clever ideas, you see. It's not about that. Which is, I I mean, I make this sound, I know it sounds a little bit weird, me doing this, but this is the currency of the Western world, which is born of doing, 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 and also of the fact that we live in machine-fed environments that create a lot of noise. Mm. So there's noise on the outside of us, and there's noise in our heads or in our hearts. Because after all, we're deeply troubled by the fact that we're not able to do what they say we should be doing. And so we become rather frightened. And then we engage in guilt, denial, shame, and all the other stuff. So what we do is we just sit up here and we compete with other people. We aren't really Mm. listening to what we're saying. They're waiting to interrupt us. There it goes. It goes on and on and on and on. Isn't it a relief when I suddenly do this? Mm -hmm. It it, it sure is. (laughs) Because you
0: are not just speaking from your head, it seems like. Really channeling not just your thoughts but also the uh, vibrations that are emanating from your heart and your whole body,
1: mm.
0: which makes a difference. And you have obviously found uh, your signature sound. Now, one of my personal goals is to be that leader, that admired leader that people, uh, you know, look up to in a respectful way. And sometimes this goal of being that leader can be very abstract, right? So, what are some key qualities of leader? that has that uh, uh, magnetism or that people admire and uh, sort of, you know, look up to, so to speak?
1: Well, this is very interesting um, as a question. I feel it's very interesting because we are at a time where mm-hmm. we're recognizing that a new form of leadership, a new new paradigm leadership needs to be born. And mm-hmm. this is a conversation that's being had in in most intelligent zones around our planet. And indeed, I was just listening this morning to um, the wonderful Robert Iger speak, who is the CEO of Walt Disney and therefore, mm. you know, one of the most powerful businessmen on the planet, who's reached a point of maturity. Um, and he was speaking about exactly this substance. But in my own experience, what makes this is number one, authenticity. Okay. Number two, kindness to others. Number three, honesty. Number four, empathy compassion. Now, the list goes on and on and on and on. But I mean, essentially, what we're doing is talking about love. Authenticity is born through I love myself. Mm. I love myself to an extent, not in some overly negative vain way, but I love myself as a child of God. I love myself as a vessel of the divine. I love myself because I know that I'm here very simply to optimize my creativity full of love and joy. Mm -hmm. And effectively, it doesn't really matter what I do to achieve that as long as I'm optimizing my creativity full of love and joy. Now, there is the first big problem because most people don't know what their purpose is. And as I've just said, our purpose mm. is very simple. Our purpose is to optimize our creativity full of love and joy. But of course, we've been brainwashed into believing that our purpose is to fulfill some vision that some academic or some headmaster or some dear father has given us in a moment of torrential outpouring, may, may, I, may I say rage, because we're frustrated with the fact that we're not achieving something. Because we're just as as adolescents bewildered by being sensorily overloaded by all the information. In other words, all we're wanting to do is just be. But you're not supposed to be, you're supposed to do. So there's a huge challenge there. Now, I mean, listening to someone like Robert Iger, he has weight. This man, he has a lot of weight. He has a lot of gravity. And you know, what's interesting is that when we talk about sovereignty, when we talk about a leader of industry, when we talk about a great human being, They all have weight. They all have groundedness. They all have gravitas.
0: Mm -hmm. So where does this gravitas come from? Is it these qualities that you just mentioned? Accumulation
1: of these qualities? Get grounded. Love for yourself. Get grounded. Get get into your body. Get Mm -hmm. into your breath. You know, you asked me the question right at the very beginning of our conversation. Do you, do you enjoy inspiring people? Do you feel you're inspired? Of course, because I breathe every day. And breath means inspire, in, to inspire, inspirare, inspirazione of divine influence. It's prania. It's prania. But, of course, we, we all breathe as the first independent action as we shoot out of our mother's birth canals or a tape yeah. from her belly. And then, of course, we breathe out when we move into the death experience. But in between, none of us are conscious of our breathing. And so what mm-hmm. I'm doing is I'm tuning people into our breath. And once the great leader becomes aware of his or her breath, then what happens is that the body becomes sensualized by the beauty of the breath and automatically our voices drop in. I mean, this is exactly what I did for Margaret Thatcher all those years ago in 1980, because she had a voice that was sort of this upper-middle-class sound that she had contrived because she had been at Oxford. And this is where, if you were a woman at that point going to Oxford or Cambridge, you had to speak thus. But, of course, it had no weight whatsoever even though she showed this remarkable intellect, so what I did was to give her this feeling of opening up the breath, so that she could feel the groundedness. And we would literally—I would go into the Commons, very into the House of Commons, very late at night in the House of the Parliament, and um, you know when session was over, and we would we would play. I mean, fortunately, Margaret only slept four hours a night, so she was yeah. wide awake. She was an extraordinary human being on that level. And she would literally bowl the sound across the across the room towards me. It's a big chamber. Mm-hmm. It's it's sixty, seventy feet in or something in length. Um and so this is something that when you think about it, that all great people have. It's when the great actor has this quality of vocal presence, as we say, mm-hmm. which is it's not you know it's to be or not to be that is the question it's not up here it's to be or not that is whether it is in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous it means that we're communicating our truth Mm. thanks a lot for sharing what you
0: shared it reminded me of the movie the king's speech right where what you say how you say it your voice your magnetism your, how you communicate what is in your mind, it, it makes such a huge difference in how, mm-hmm. especially the common crowd or the people perceive you, right? And that's where a coach really helps. So thanks a lot for sharing that wonderful story. So what sort of influence did Diana
1: have on her two sons, William and Prince Harry? Um, well, I can't really answer that question, can I? I mean, because we all know what influence she had, and it's pretty obvious that they are rem- two remarkable men. Um, who experienced an unbelievably traumatic occasion when she passed? um so I mean, I mean, you know everybody can see very easily that her love for them, I've already talked about her unconditional love, was just consummate. So they're two very extraordinary young men, and I feel that we're seeing that right now. I mean, you're not not mm. far away from Harry, the Duke of Sussex, right now, right being in being in Vancouver. Um, but obviously, you know, that situation has been blown out of proportion because the British press are saying one thing, which is all falsehood. And what's happening in, in that's just creating the substance of great argument through social media and through selling lots of newspapers or whatever. But actually, that's not what's gone on at all because you can just imagine Harry going to his grandmother. Three, two and a half, three years ago, and saying, Grandmama, I fallen in love. Wow, how amazing. Who have you fallen yeah. in love with? You can just imagine the Queen saying that, you know, because yeah. she's an extraordinary woman. And uh, Harry's saying, well, she's an American. Mm. Well, well, that's okay, because we do have another American in the family in the form of uh, her godson, Peter Phillips, is married to a Mar- an American, whom he's just about to divorce. But however, then, you know, Uh, she she's an actress oh dear she's an actress oh dear she's a divorcee oh 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 oh, oh. and she's black Hmm. wow (laughs) so you know the wonder is i'm sure the queen said something like are you sure you're in love this is quite something i (laughs) I am in love and i would imagine the queen said well why don't we give it a year and you know if you really are still in love and you want to marry Meghan in a year's time, or whatever, then let's talk again. And then I'm sure that that time passed, and they reconvened, and they had another conversation. And Harry said, "I'm more in love than I ever was. I want to marry this woman." Okay, so what are your roles going to be? And so they just mm-hmm. what their roles are going to be. But Queen, being who she is, this wise pragmatist, I'm sure, said, "What happens if it goes wrong? What mm-hmm. happens if this doesn't work? You know she's also very prescient." So there's an intuition. She's a fellow Taurian. You see, I'm Taurus and she's Taurus. Right. We're, we're very grounded people. Anyway, so I'm sure it was discussed. So this whole idea about the drama of what's just gone on. Okay, so decisions have been released publicly, but all of this was decided a very long time ago. And isn't it interesting because actually Harry is doing something that his mother was all, almost on the bridge of doing as well. Yeah. So, you see, it's all been talked about before. It's not some sudden, and the Queen did not have a summit conference, and there wasn't a lot of drama going on. This is something that they've been talking about privately for a very long period of time to try and make the best choice about how service can be given. Wonderful.
0: Thanks a lot for sharing. And I'm sure that our listeners who are listening in their cars or maybe in transit are really enjoying this conversation as well. Action Tribe, I hope you enjoyed our session so far, and you now have some insights into how you can. Find your own voice. It's important to speak out. It's important to express yourself and to really stand up for what you truly believe in. It is important to have a dream and to strive towards that new you. And most importantly, it's important to not let others determine your destiny. That's probably why Steve Jobs once said don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own voice. Have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. And with that being said, it is now time for our and, last if one.
1: Add, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find out information about the unique properties that allow Diana to become what she was and to ignite the radiance that we all experience by reading Diana, the Voice of Change Yes, by Stuart Pierce. We'll add the link in the show notes as well.
0: Uh, and with that, it's now time for the last round of our show, which is the wisdom round, which contains four questions uh, for so that our listeners can take note and take action. So Stuart, in one sentence, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received?
1: Learn how to breathe.
0: If you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone who is living or dead, who would it be?
1: His Holiness the Dalai
0: Lama. What is one thing that you do in the morning? or maybe in the evening, that has really improved the
1: quality of your life? You're psychic and you didn't realize it. I meditate in the morning and I meditate in the evening. In the morning, my meditation is an active meditation where I chant and I pray. And in the evening, I um, engage in a passive relaxation where I use breath to open up all of my chakras. And then I float into a state of alpha to receive from the divine. Wonderful. Uh,
0: And if you could uh, recommend one book for our listeners today, uh, what would that be? Diana, the voice of change. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) So listeners, you got that. Make sure that you check out this book uh, because I'll be adding the link in the show notes as well. So Stuart, is it already on Audible or do you have any plans for adding that as an audio book on Audible?
1: In two weeks time, I will be in a studio recording the audio book. Perfect, because our episode will, you know, as
0: it were, will be released only about two to three weeks down the line, or maybe even longer than that. So there's a good chance that someone listening to the show can actually grab the free credit for an Audible and listen to this book being read by Stuart peers because listening is the new reading and in the fact that you're listening to this podcast actually proves my point and what better way than to consume a book by listening to the author himself or herself so to get your free credit go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book my7chakras.com forward slash free book so Stuart thanks a lot for joining us today we're after this session going to you know record a short session for our members as well some extra questions to go a little bit deeper but uh for now tell us something that you're grateful for and what is the best way that our listeners and, and our audience can find you and learn more about you
1: um we're well, starting sort of anti-chronologically the, e- the easiest way to find me is through www.dianathevoiceofchange.com or www.stuartpierce.com um <clears throat> I'm very alive on social media, either under Diana, the Voice of Change, or Stuart Pierce, The Voice, um, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And then the first part of your question was? What is one thing that you're grateful for today? Today? Yeah. Oh, speaking with you, AJ.
0: Well,
1: thank you. And this morning, <laughs> I'm meeting a very old friend for dinner. I'm immensely grateful for this opportunity to share with you and all of your listeners and to have a wonderful conversation with somebody I haven't seen for many, many years. I'm immensely grateful. Such a magical moment. Thanks a lot for sharing. Action Tribe, if you're on
0: Instagram, then take a screenshot of this episode and tag us so that I and Stuart can share your story with our community. My handle is at my7chakras at my7chakras so make sure you do so uh, we're now going to record an extended session especially for our Action Tribe Energy Circle members to learn more go to my7chakras.com forward slash join that's my7chakras.com forward slash join so consider joining us to upgrade to the entire session and if not I hope you have a spectacular day ahead
1: Thank you for listening to my seven chakras at mysevenchakras.com. That is my s e v e n chakras.com.